0: Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. Today, we're celebrating an anniversary. I can't really believe it's 15 years, but it is. It's the 15th anniversary of when the Jesus Storybook Bible was first published. So we thought we'd look back at the inspiration for writing it and celebrate together all that God has done in those 15 years. I'm reminded of what my friend Amy Grant shared in our very first podcast episode, uh, in episode one, where she shared about loaves and fishes moments. She was thinking about that little boy who gave Jesus what he had, who gave Jesus his not enough, and how... God made it more than enough, turning a tiny lunch of just five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people with leftovers. Amy's mindset is that when she walks into a situation that is above her or way beyond her, when she feels inadequate, she asks herself this question, what do I already have? I want to share it. I want to share it believing that a little bit can go a super long way in God's hands." That really describes everything I believe about writing the Jesus Storybook Bible. I was overwhelmed at the idea of even attempting to tell the story of the Bible in a way that little ones could understand, in a way that they could grasp the magnificence of the love God has for them. I knew if God didn't do it, it really wouldn't get done. So I gave him what I had, well, and God did the rest. So in this episode, we're going to share how God took our not enough, mine, Jago's, the whole team's not enough, and made it multiply into all he wanted it to be, as only he can do. A few years ago, I visited a Sunday school and I read the story of Daniel from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's called Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. And I was reading to some six-year-olds, and one little girl in particular was sitting so close to me, she was almost in my lap. Her face was bright and eager as she listened to the story. She was utterly captivated. She could hardly keep on the ground and kept kneeling to get closer to the story. At the end of the story, there were no other teachers around, and I panicked because I'm, I'm very good at getting children excited, but I'm not so good at getting them to calm down. So anyway, I panicked and went into automatic pilot and I heard myself, to my horror, asking, and so children, what can we learn from Daniel about how God wants us to behave? And as I said those words, it was as if I'd literally laid a huge load on that little girl, like I'd put a burden on her shoulders, like I'd broken some kind of spell, She crumpled right in front of me, physically slumping and bowing her head. I won't ever forget it. Because it's a picture of what happens to a child when we turn a story into a moral lesson. When we drill everything down into a moral lesson, when we don't let God's wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love take center stage, then we make the story all about the child and what the child should or shouldn't be doing. We make it all about us. But the Bible isn't mainly about us and what we're supposed to be doing. It's about God and what he's done. It's about the God who just can't stop loving us, who moves heaven and earth to be near us. Reading from the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Now a picture book is a story told in two languages, word and image. So the words are only half the story. I'm so grateful to Jago for the other half of the story. I'm grateful for his beautiful illustrations, which engage the tiniest humans, as well as the oldest ones. His illustrations that show all of God's children in all of their wonderful, unique diversity, and his illustrations that have that key ingredient to any children's book, heart.
1: Sally's really nice to work with as an author because she's got very clear ideas, but she's also very aware that producing the illustrations isn't her job. So she gives you lots to work with, which is fantastic, um, but she then steps back and lets you get on with it. So it's a really nice combination that she's got very clear ideas of what she wants and how she thinks things should look, but then she hands it over to you and lets you do your part of the work. Sometimes I think, you can work with people who have a very strong idea and they they don't really want to let you do any of it and that's really difficult and it's equally difficult if you're working with somebody who doesn't have any idea of of what they want because then you're kind of guessing almost you know trying different things out in the hope that maybe this thing will be the right thing but with Sally it's great because she's got a very clear idea but then she lets you do your job. Previous books I haven't had much contact with the author. They often sort of hand the book over to the publisher and and that's really the last they have to do with it. Um, But with uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally was very involved. She gave me feedback on every illustration as it was being produced and had really good sort of strong ideas so she had a, a definite kind of response for everything. There were 180 illustrations, I think. Um, And the whole process, from when I received the first information from the designer to when the completed book was delivered, took me more than 12 months. Um, And that was 12 months of pretty solid work. I think the style was, was simply the way I was working at the time, really. So I developed a technique whereby I was drawing in pencil, scanning the pencil drawings into the computer, um, printing them out again very faintly as a kind of guide and then drawing the illustrations in ink. Uh, those ink illustrations would then be scanned back into the computer uh, where I would add the colour and the textures. From working on that Bible is it kind of showed me what I was capable of in the sense that when I started working on that I was relatively new as an illustrator. I'd, I'd worked on a few books but they had been relatively small projects and when I was offered the chance of working on it I did kind of wonder can I actually do this? This is such a huge amount of work. Um, and I think the fact that I did it and it was successful kind of really sort of uh, showed me that, yes, I could do a project like that. Um, I can complete 180 illustrations whilst moving house and having a child. Um, you know, and if I can do that, then you know, I can do anything. I think I hope that that people remember the illustrations because I when I think back to when I was a child, I have really vivid memories of, of illustrations from books. Um, and they kind of, they obviously really kind of seeped into my subconscious. And so I, I guess I hope that, you know, that years from now, children will kind of have fond memories of the, of the illustrations in the books that I've done.
0: So children's books are written for the ear. They're written to be read aloud. As I wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, I would read each chapter aloud myself. And immediately I could hear what wasn't working and where it needed to be changed. Then I got a friend to read it aloud to me. And then I heard even more places that needed to be changed. So reading aloud is a huge part of the storytelling. But I learned most about reading to children from Sir David Suchet. I was fortunate enough to be at the recording studio in London. Well, let's be honest, I made sure I was in London at the recording studio when Sir David Suchet, one of my favorite actors, read three of my books for audio. I had to pinch myself. How did that come to be? He read The Jesus Storybook Bible and Song of the Stars and Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing for audio. And yes, just in case this is news to you, the whole of the Jesus Storybook Bible is on audio read by David himself. It's masterful. In fact, some children are so impressed with his voice that they actually think it's God's voice. So there's that. Anyway, we were all together at the recording studio in London. And at one point, the producer asked David to try a line with a different emphasis. Can you go up at the end of that sentence, David? The producer asked. And David said, I knew you'd ask me that. I tried it like that and I sounded like a cow, but I'll do it and you'll see I do sound like a cow. And sure enough, he tried it again. And well, he sort of did sound like a cow. After our laughing died down, David said something I've never forgotten. He said, you see, I have to make it go down there to earn the pause I need for the next bit. David had worked out every pause, every tiny nuance of that entire text. He read it so naturally, we'd been lulled into thinking he just read like that. But of course not, he's a master. He makes the difficult sound easy. But it also challenged me because if even a master like him has to spend that amount of time preparing, why would I think I can just stand up in front of children and read a book I've never read before? We need to rehearse, even if they're only children. Well, especially if they're only children. We need to know the story, where are where the pauses going to be. We need to choreograph where we'll make eye contact with the children. We have to connect or we won't hold their attention. We can't expect any book to do all of our storytelling work for us. We must work hard to tell the story, to perform it. We can't just read it with our noses in the book. A story has to be seen to be heard. A story is as good as our performance of it, and I never learnt that more than with David, and what a performance David gave. So, without further ado, it's my great honour to introduce you to my dear friend, and now yours, Sir David Suchet.
2: The Jesus Storybook Bible was, for me, my first acquaintance with Sally's works and uh, I found it extraordinary. And what I found most extraordinary was the reaction uh, of everybody who has read and listened to it. And I'm convinced actually that, that, that Sally has quite a unique gift. It's her way of making that which today might seem a bit dull and over familiar, very alive and fresh. Sometimes uh, the things in the Bible become so commonplace that you think you know them. But Sally has this gift of extracting them from the Bible, great themes, great complex themes, and makes them so very simple which is what I think maybe the Bible was meant to be in the first place. And I think that us human beings can overcomplicate it. And Sally has opened it up in a wonderfully fresh, unique way. And may I say, not only for the little ones or children, but for people of my age too.
0: To write a children's book that somehow, all of a sudden, found its way into the hands of professors and prison ministers and singer-songwriters and university students, it found its way into nursing homes, onto NICU wards, and into over 65 languages. Well, it's been amazing. And then we began to hear these stories from all over the world, beautiful stories of lives transformed by God's love. To hear the magnificent ways God's love transcends boundaries, breaks down walls, makes a way where there is no way, changes lives. its Well, it's been so incredibly moving and we couldn't keep those stories to ourselves any longer and we had to share them with you. And that's why we launched this podcast in the first place, to inspire and encourage you as you listen to these stories of the beautiful ways grace can transform life. And today, in celebration of the 15th anniversary, we wanted to share with you just one of these incredible stories. So, without further ado, please welcome my friend, and now yours, Rachel George, from Room 423 Bibles.
3: Hi, I'm Rachel George. I live in Danville, Illinois, with my husband and three of my kids. And Room Four Twenty Three Bibles is what I'll be sharing about today. And it's just—it's a ministry of our church um, that we started, and it's to provide Jesus Storybook Bibles to families and children in hospitals and families in crisis situations. So the way room 423 Bible started was actually when our friends Jeff and Tiffany found themselves in a hospital. It was about two hours away from Children's Hospital. And we were trying to think through what we could even do, what we could bring to our dear friends. They were our neighbors and also friends from church. We'd been reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with Teo and some of the other children in our church while we had done some lessons with them and we found that they loved it. We loved it because it was very childlike, but not childish. We loved the stories of it. And so while we were rushing over to kind of be with them, to pray with them, we thought we just need to grab something. So we just grabbed the coffee off of our shelf. I remember she texted me later that they were able to read several stories from the Bible over Tao and, um, a few weeks later, he, he passed away. Um, He went to be with Jesus and they just sang worship songs over him. And um, even though it was a really, really painful place, um, they experienced um, the presence of Jesus in that room. So that room number was 423. About three years later, our son Clive was born and he had a heart condition and we were in the neonatal ICU with him for a few weeks and um in the same children's hospital and he suddenly had an episode which caused his heart to crash he was in cardiac arrest and we came to find out a couple you know a couple days into the stay that it was the exact same room that Jeff and Tiffany were in with uh, with Teo and we didn't know every night was just kind of praying him through the night and there wasn't much we could do but we did we just held his hands and rubbed his head and read over him. We read almost the whole Jesus Storybook Bible in entirety. We prayed and hoped and um, just desired so badly for Clive to come home with us. And, um, and he didn't. In that same room, I held him as he, um, as he went to be with Jesus. We just like Jeff and Tiffany just experienced a lot of holiness in that room. It's just so hard to explain because it was such a painful experience, but it was also a room where, you know, we felt very, very close to Jesus where we felt, um, just so desperate. So yeah, on our knees before him. So after we left, um, we just knew that there was just something special that God was doing on all of this and in bringing our stories together and having these two little boys who uh, lived a block apart, would have lived a block apart. Clive never actually got to come home. We had the services for Clive. People were asking what they could donate to and what they could do. And um, so we just decided to set up a fund through our church and collect money. And we weren't positive at the time what, what we would do with all of it. But pretty soon afterwards, we decided to, under the umbrella of our church, just to do a ministry called Room 423 Bibles. And basically our goal, our mission is to just provide Bibles to families in crisis situations and especially families whose children are in the hospital. And for parents, especially the full book of the Bible is just so overwhelming to open up when you're in a crisis it just feels like you don't know where to start especially if you're not familiar um, with the word and so to have these um, these children's bibles you know they're for the kids but they're also for the whole family as the parents read over them and hopefully find a lot of truth and a lot of hope within the pages and one day When he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come, I promise. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all these things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue and see i have wiped every tear from every eye then a deep beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says look i am making everything new i think it can be really easy to get into the busy rhythms of life you know checking things off lists getting things done and then there's these moments that just come so unexpectedly that um flip our worlds upside down this passage just it brings me a lot of hope when the world feels so broken um actually just this past week my um, husband's brother died really unexpectedly and left behind six kids and a wife and you know it's just one of those times when suddenly reminded that um I don't know where I would be without the hope of Jesus and and even just this week, I was reading, reading this passage, and it's just those those truths, those these simple truths of Jesus, um, of of God making everything new again. It's just what we have to cling to, and it's easy to forget them when we go about our day to day lives. But but I think that having them deep seated in our heart. Um, cause the wind is going to get knocked out of us. There are going to be these times that, um, that the world gets flipped upside down and just being able to turn to that rather than turn to despair or bitterness and just remembering that he is going to make everything new and, um, the rescuer is coming and, um, we have hope in that.
0: When I go into schools and churches, I usually ask children two questions. First of all, I ask them, how many people here sometimes think you have to be good for God to love you? They tentatively raise their hands and I raise my hand along with them. Then I ask them, and how many people here sometimes think if you stop being good, God will stop loving you? Almost without fail, every hand goes up. These are children in Sunday schools. These are children who know their Bible stories. These are children that think if they mess up, God won't love them. Somehow, they've missed the most important thing of all. They've missed what the Bible is all about. I wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible for all the children like them and for the child I once was. My prayer in writing the Jesus Storybook Bible was that children would meet that rescuer in the pages of the book and know without any doubt that God loves them, not because they're good, but because he is, and that he won't ever stop loving them, that he loves them with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking-always-and-forever love. To see the ways in which the book has traveled out into the world into so many hands small ones and big ones into so many languages all over the globe i think we're now at 65 languages it's way beyond anything i could ever have dared to imagine or dream or hope immeasurably more i'm so grateful to the translators the publishers the team at Sondervan, and most of all to all of you for sharing the book with friends and relatives and random strangers. None of this could have happened without you. It's incredible and wonderful and miraculous. But most of all, I have no doubt whatsoever about who the author of the book's success is, and I give him all the glory.